All right, Deuteronomy chapter 24. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab those. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab those. Deuteronomy chapter 24. If you need a Bible, there's some there on the chairs there around you. If you're using one of those Bibles from the chairs, you're going to go to page 129, or if the Bible that you're using has a flame on the front, page 165, 165. Uh, I just, you guys don't know the half of what I know, and I just watched the Lord orchestrate some things that the people that moved didn't even know he was orchestrating it. They might have, but I was expecting I need to orchestrate something. And I watched the Lord move people to do it. Amen. So, that's good. Deuteronomy 24. Um, we're going to hit some sensitive topics this morning. And we're going to get into something that I wish I could get into more, but I'm not. I'm going to have to really be disciplined not to dive into this more than I really want to this morning. But I want to give it some attention. Um, because we've got a full chapter we're going to work through, and you know how that goes. Um, that's hard to do. And... What I want to, want to try to help you see is how all of this ties together, what Moses' concern is, what the people's concern is, how that applies to us today, how that should shape the way we think, the way we live. And so here's where I'm going this morning to try to tie all this together as we look at this chapter, because you've got some themes that you can easily tie together, and then you've got the second half of the chapter, just go, you just think, well, where did this come from, you know? And so here's what I think can help. It's kind of a broad umbrella, but here's what I think can help tie all of this together as Moses is giving this sermon. It's this, the people of God, the people who are part of the covenant community of God, people of faith, they have a responsibility for the well-being of the vulnerable among them. Okay? So we're talking about within the covenant community, when the covenant community, the people of faith, when among the people of faith, there are those who are vulnerable. We're going to have to do some work to identify what that looks like and what it's not today, but what, what we might think it is, right? But we have a responsibility as a people, a covenant people, for the well-being of those who are vulnerable. And so all of that we're going to look at today is going to tie into that. And so let's go ahead and jump in here, looking at verses 1 through 5. They, they all kind of go together. I'm going to do four, 1 through 4. We'll take that, and then we'll talk about 5, and then we'll go on to the, the rest. I'm going to spend more time on this front part than I will on the, the latter part. But as always, if there's something that we don't cover or I say something and all it does is raise more questions, you're always welcome to, to email me. I have cards out there on the, the, the Welcome Center, email, text, call. I'm always welcome, uh, welcome to you in, in dialoguing on things. Because I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not perfect, and I'm not the uh, Bible answer man either. So, when a man takes a wife, 24-1, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce, And puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife, after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So, contrary to what... You might think when you read this, this is not actually law about divorce. This is not instruction or regulation about divorce. This is instruction and law about remarriage 
and taking care of someone who becomes vulnerable because of divorce? And what are the grounds by which a person can or cannot remarry? That's, that's really the focus here. Okay, so let me show you why that's the case. When a man takes a wife, now this was a patriarchal world at this time. And, and patriarchal meaning um, in, in that society, yeah, women in large part, they were not educated. Women in large part did not have rights. If you didn't have a son to pass on inheritance to, if you were not married, then you, you were without a lot. And you, you really didn't have much of a place in society as a whole. Women in this society, even though among the people of God, they were elevated far above what every other nation would have done, right? And, and, and so what we see here, we, we, we tend to read this and we think there's such a gap, but you have to understand the culture at this time. And so when, when a woman was of age of marrying, okay, so when certain things were starting to happen and she was able to have kids, she becomes a, at an age to be married. And so they get married much, much younger. And so one of the greatest things that a wife can, can, can do is to have a son, right? Because that son then is the one who receives the inheritance from, from the family. If she doesn't have a son, then, then she risks bringing reproach on the name of the family as if it was her fault, right? But, but the, the issue is that the sons were the ones who received the inheritance. And so for a woman to be without a son or to be without a husband or in this case, what we see to be divorced puts her in a very vulnerable place. Okay, so here's, here's how it starts. Moses is not focused on the woman so much. Moses is focused on the husband, because there's a contrast between husbands, between verses one through four and verse five. Moses is focused on the husband. Look, when a man takes a wife and he marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes, the fault's on him. The fault's not on her. He, he doesn't find favor in her. There, there's something about her. Now, I'm gonna tell you what I think it is based on what's here. But, but the issue here that Moses is focusing in on, divorce was already practiced. The people of God were formed by God through one man, Abram, and from his family, right? But before them, there were already nations existing. There were already practices taking place. Divorce was already happening. What these verses do is describe what was already happening when it comes to divorce. But it's not giving a lot of instruction on divorce itself, more so about how to protect the vulnerable when that happens. Okay, so when she finds no favor in his eyes. So the issue is first and foremost with the husband who finds no favor in his wife because he has found some indecency in her. Now, because of our English translations, we read that and then we impose on that what we think that means. Because when we read that, we say an indecency in her, what did she do? What did she do? Right? And, and there are many people who have read this and many rabbis who have who read this and they have said, yes, it was immorality on her part. But is it? Is that really what Moses is talking about? Because the word behind indecency in her, it shows up in another spot and, and it has nothing to do with immorality. It has to do, and, and when you translate this, so we, we, we have English translations, they do their best to capture a Hebrew word, which one Hebrew word can have multiple translations depending on the context. It's very pictorial. English is not a pictorial language, right? And so there, there are nuances to, to, to the Hebrew language that in English, when it gets translated, translators have to decide what's the best English word to try to capture what's going on here. And there's just no way sometimes to capture the fullness of it. So when you, when you go and you look at the word, and you can do this, go to blueletterbible.org and just click on that part, go to interlinear, click on that part, and it'll show you the Hebrew word behind it. 
And it gets literally translated this way, nakedness of a thing, or we would say it's a nakedness of a certain region. Okay, certain things are exposed. Okay, nakedness of a thing. That indicates that the thing going on with the woman was not a moral thing, but a physical Remember the lady in Jesus' day who couldn't stop bleeding? <laughs> I remember the first time I preached to that in Mark. Um, there was an OB, uh, a labor and delivery nurse in our congregation who I, I was talking about the bleeding coming from the head. She came and set me straight. I just wasn't even thinking about it. Right? But that's, that's what we're talking about here. When there's something wrong with the woman and she can't stop bleeding. Well, in, in, under the law, if you're bleeding, if anything's coming out of your body that doesn't belong outside your body, you become unclean. And as a husband, you and your wife, you cannot enjoy one another's intimacy, right? Okay, so if the woman is always bleeding, the husband, got it? Okay, so, so he finds in her some indecency because he's not able to enjoy the fruit of his marriage. I'm speaking euphemism because I didn't give a rating today, okay? But this is not about immorality on the woman's part. This is about some physical defect, some, some physical thing that's taking place in the woman that is keeping her maybe in a ritual state of uncleanliness, but keeping the husband from being able to enjoy and maybe have some needs met, which then there was a practice, a known practice that many of the early rabbis had to, had to um, counteract where a husband, in order to avoid the divorce, because they know divorce is wrong, because Genesis 2 Adam, shall, Adam and Eve, the, the, woman, the man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh, right? That's, the, that's, the, that's the, the, the intent of God. And we have to say this about divorce. With, without making any kind of judgment statement on anyone's situation, every divorce, regardless of the circumstance, is a failure of marriage, okay? Regardless of the circumstance, it's not a judgment statement on that. God's intent is for the two shall become one flesh. What was happening, though, is you had men who knew that divorce was not an option for them if they were to be a good Jew and to live by the law, or the letter of the law. And so what they might do is they might, might send their, their wife out, but not give her a certificate of divorce, marry someone else so that they can, they can, they can justly be married in the sight of the law, enjoy the fruit, no longer happy, send that woman out and then come back. There, there was a practice of trying to work around the law, right? And if you don't give a certificate of divorce, then your first wife, she has nothing. She's got no inheritance. She can't, she can't go back to her family because there's, there's no proof or certificate that she has been separated from her husband. The, the money, the dowry, the bride price is not returned, so the man gets to keep the bride price. And the man gets to pursue all the things that he wants to pursue, but the woman is left vulnerable. She can't work. She can't remarry without a certificate of divorce. And so what Moses is doing here is he's providing protection for the woman. In this case, when a man does not find favor with his wife. And so the certificate of divorce, he says, if he finds no favor because there's some indecency, some, some physical thing taking place, he writes her certificate of divorce. Why? Because that certificate of divorce allows her to go back to her family, her father, mother. It allows the man to send back the dowry, the, the bride price, and she's released and she's free to remarry if that becomes an option. Otherwise, there's just rumors. Otherwise, there's just a woman who's still married to a man 
and the man's enjoying all the freedom that he wants to enjoy, and yet the woman is vulnerable. Okay? God is looking after one of the most vulnerable people in one of the most vulnerable situations in that day. And he's given instruction as to, it's, it, he's describing what has happened and likely will happen. He's not making a judgment on this. He's just saying when this happens, you need to give a certificate of divorce. Okay? Jesus will have something to say about the reason Moses even permitted that. Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 19 both talk about marriage and divorce. And I want to say it's Matthew 19. I could be wrong. It could be 5. But one of them, they ask him, well, then why did Moses instruct us to give us a certificate of divorce? And Jesus says he permitted that because of your hardness of heart. In other words, it was already happening because of the hardness of heart that was there. He's protecting the woman by allowing a certificate of divorce for her sake. Okay? So he goes on and, and, and he sends her out of his house. Now, let's say she gets that certificate of divorce. She goes and remarries someone else. Something happens, maybe the same issue with the, the second husband. The second husband sends her away. She needs a certificate of divorce for her protection. Because if you send her away without a certificate of divorce, again, you have nothing. She's vulnerable. Okay? But here's the instruction. Here's really where the instruction comes in. Verse 4 is where the instruction comes in. Her former husband, so her first husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. She's not defiled because of something she did. She's been defiled by the husbands that have sent her away. So he's been, she's been with one husband. He sent her away. She's been with another husband. He sent her away. And now the first husband's wanting her back. Moses is saying, you can't do that. That was a practice that some rabbis had to address early on, where there was, it was kind of, I guess we would call it wife swapping in a way, but just in an archaic way. And, and so the husband is, is finding loopholes to get around the law all at the expense of the woman. And so the instruction is you can't take her back after your first one because she's been defiled, right? The things that, that you have done, the way that you've traded her off, the way that you've treated her, she's been with another man, you can't take her back, she's been defiled, right? That's not a moral statement of the woman, that's about the men here. For that is an abomination before the Lord. There are some things that, that are called an abomination that are pretty strong. Right? There, you should look that word up, abomination, and see the things that are associated with it. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. This is one of those sins. We've seen a few of them. Blood guilt. We talked a lot about blood guilt. Uh, we've talked about inappropriate, immoral, physical relationships. Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 22 cover these. They bring sin upon the land. We're finding out now um, this, this unbiblical, uh, unrighteous divorce remarriage can bring sin upon the land. Right? It's, it's taken seriously. Now, this is where, where I'd, I'd say I'd, I'd like to go a little further. I could have done an entire message on divorce and remarriage. And I would have had to walk away from Deuteronomy 24 the rest of the chapter. But know this. When we talk about what the scriptures say about divorce, we know the intent is the two shall become one flesh. We know that there are some grounds uh, with uh, immorality, unfaithfulness, where divorce is permitted because the covenant is broken. In fact, Jeremiah 3.8, God himself says he divorced Israel. That would be the northern ten tribes, Right? Um, and, and Judah and Benjamin, the southern two tribes, were at risk. Malachi chapter 2, verses uh, 15 and 16, 
Um, depends on your translation, but I'm going to tell you what, what I think is the better translation here. He talks about how the men, at, after they came out of captivity in Malachi chapter 2, the men were pursuing unfaithfulness, and they, and they were hating their wives, and so they hated, the men hated divorce. In other words, they didn't want to pursue divorce, and so they were working their way around it, all at the expense of their wives, and the Lord was not going to be tolerating that. Okay? Look into that. Well, uh, Malachi chapter 2, 15 and 16. There is a complexity to divorce, and there is a complexity to remarriage. Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 gives some instruction. There's really not a whole lot of instruction like we would like on divorce and remarriage. There's a few spots. It's complex. And what I would encourage you is two things. One, know your scripture on this. And as a pastor, I would say, love people. Hear the story before you judge. Hear the story. And whether or not you agree or disagree, love people. Love people. Because there have been a many divorced person who has been turned away from the church and from God, not because of his attitude towards them, but because of the church's people's attitude. Amen. And the two sometimes are so hard to separate. Okay? Have I been clear? God's intent is not for divorce. Every divorce is a failure of marriage. God's intent was for that not to happen. Okay? I'm clear on that, right? Okay. But it happens. And we need to know how God views it, and we need to know what the scriptures say about it, and we need to love people regardless of that. But here's why this is about the husband, because this is one set of husbands. They find no favor because of some indecency, some physical effect of, uh, that she's having. But then there's this guy. Then there's this guy, verse 5. When a man is newly married, he shall not go out with the army or be liable for any other public duty. He shall be free at home one year to be happy with his wife whom he has taken. Most countries require military service, one to two years or something like that when you become of age. This is a nation who is at holy war. They were about to go on a conquest in the land. They were going to be driving nations out. They would be living as a nation at war, as God directed them. This is very practical, very relevant information as these generations are going to cross into the, 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 the promised land. When you have a man who's newly married, he is excused from military service for a year so that he and his wife can be happy. Now, don't read into that modern-day happiness. What likely is included in that is they have a chance to be able to consummate the marriage, okay? Because remember, there was a betrothal period of about a year where you were legally bound together, but you were not consummating. And if you don't know what I mean by consummating, I just mean you, you make the marriage official in a physical way, right? And so they consummate the marriage... And then there's an opportunity for the wife to become pregnant so that there's someone to pass on the inheritance to. Because if the husband then goes away and dies and they have no son to pass on the inheritance to, his family name's ended there, right? It's a big deal. 
Now, so there's, there's a contrast here. So you've got one man who's not finding any, any favor in his wife because of something that's going on with her physically and to, to no fault of her own, right? And, and so he's then trying to work around the law so that he can make himself happy. And then you've got this guy here where Moses says, this is what it looks like to be a husband, to be a man. You, you step away from some things so that you have an opportunity to nurture and nourish and cultivate your family. Because let me say this, husbands, men, fathers, and whatever that role looks like, you and I have a responsibility before the Lord and for all of the women in our households. Amen. Yes. Amen. We have a responsibility for all of the women in our households to protect them while they're under our households, to protect and provide for them while they're under our households, and to ensure to the best of our ability that they are cared for, that they are nourished, and that they are pointed to the Lord and that we're not letting them step in to something that will destroy them or someone that will destroy them. That falls to us. And if that sounds patriarchal, I'm just gonna tell you, it's in the scriptures. It is part of what it means to be a man. And if we have daughters, granddaughters, and if we have wives that are under our care, and I don't mean one man has wives, by the way, if we have a wife who is under our care, we are given a God-given responsibility for them, okay? And it is reflected in the way they, they live, the way they love, the way they receive love, okay? That's put on us, all right? That does not take away the woman's individuality. That does not take away the woman's personality or any of her God-given rights. All right, one of the most vulnerable people in society was a divorced woman. And God is looking after one of the most vulnerable people in society. And he's making sure his people are adopting his view of the most vulnerable in society. Amen. Okay? That's why certificates of divorce. That raises questions. Shoot me an email, text. Let's talk. All right. So the rest of the chapter then goes on with other um, vulnerable situations that might come up. So we're going to walk through them. I'm going to say a few things about some of them, and I'm going to camp on one or two of them, and, and then we'll get through this. So if you look with me at verse 6, there's the next one. So no one shall take a mill or an upper millstone in pledge, for that would be taking a life in pledge. So the idea is this. There, was, there were people who were among the covenant people of God. They would have need financial needs. And it wasn't because of the, the types of things necessarily that we have financial needs today. We're not talking about people who made bad decisions, sinful decisions, disobedient decisions, and now they're living with the consequences. That's not what these, these verses are about. These are about people who are vulnerable and maybe they don't have access to, to an inheritance because they were a widow and they have no sons. Or they had a husband who sent, him, sent her out of the house, right? Something like that. And so maybe they, they need some help financially to get back on their feet. We have already seen that when one Israelite loans to another Israelite, you do not charge interest. Because the point of a loan was not to make money. The point of the loan was not to be advantageous to the one loaning, but to the one who was receiving, right? But the, we've got that flip-flop today. The people who need the financial help from the banks or the, 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 the organizations that have the ability to loan it out, they're extorted so that to take on that debt that you want to try to just get on your feet, you're actually buried in more debt because of that. It's, it's backwards, okay? Oh, Lordy, okay. So 
So no one shall take a meal. So the idea here is the meal would be made of two parts, a lower and an upper part. This is what you would use to grind your grain and to make your bread. And so when you are loaning something to someone, you can't take that as a pledge. Why? Because you would be taking the thing that they use to sustain them, nourish them, physically provide for them. You cannot put someone in a worser position by taking a pledge from them. You would be making them more vulnerable and utterly dependent upon the wealthy. Amen. Okay. If a man, verse 7, is found stealing one of his brothers of the people of Israel, and if he treats him as a slave or sells him, then that thief shall die, and so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Kidnapping, trafficking of all kinds, slave labor, labor in the workplace, right? Where you put someone in a position, you either steal them, which means you just think they're property to begin with. You think they're an object to, to benefit from or to, to get an advantage from, profit from perhaps, Okay. Or you, 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 you put them to work for you, but you don't pay them enough for them to live. And so now they're utterly dependent upon you. You're benefiting off of their back, their labor, and yet they're not being able to earn what's just for them. And so they're in a position of vulnerability where they're now dependent upon someone who can do this to them, who can squash them, who can say, well, I, you want that money. I know you need it. Right? And so the idea is this. You don't, you don't, you don't take someone, treat them like property, and you don't sell them, you don't traffic them, okay? And the penalty for doing that is the same as murder. That's how serious this is. The penalty for kidnapping, trafficking, stealing a person, treating them like a slave is the same as murder. You put them to death. And in doing so, Moses says, you're purging the evil from your midst. We got a lot to learn in our society. We, and, and, I, and I dare say, we know it. And it is negligence on our government's part and on many governments' part. It's negligence on people's part who are in a position to do things about this. Because we tolerate it, we turn a blind eye, there's businesses associated with it. That's all I can say about that. But these people who are trafficked, who are stolen, who are kidnapped, they're vulnerable. God is looking out for the vulnerable. One of the ways to do that is you make sure you deal justly with those who steal like that. Verse eight, take care in a case of leprous disease to be very careful to do according to all that the Levitical priest shall direct you. As I commanded them, so you shall be careful to do. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way as you came out of Egypt. We're gonna camp here for just a moment. So Moses has already given them uh, instruction about how to deal with leprosy. Leviticus 13 and 14, I believe, is where you'll find those. Lots of, lots of instructions. Um, what I want you to know is this. When we read leprous disease, we think with a modern medical mindset. Amen. And what we call today leprosy is typically known as Hansen's disease, which is a bacteria infection. That is not what leprosy was then. The word behind leprosy is, 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 is not one that would lend itself to a bacterial disease, but one instead that the, you should note it's treated by the priests, because this za'arat is the leprosy disease. Za'arat is the, the word behind it. It is a physical condition on the skin. It can be on the clothes. It can be in a house. It is a physical condition that oftentimes is reflecting a spiritual reality, a spiritual corruption. Okay? And so the reason that the priests needed to deal with this was because this was not just simply a physical 
issue. This was a spiritual issue showing up in the physical, and it needed to be dealt with in very specific ways. And so as you dig more into this, the rabbis over the years, um, they, they, there's been a variety of things they think are connected to this. Gossip, always. Slander, always. Coming back to that. Some, some rabbis even went further, and they say things like um, immoral physical relationships, okay? um, perjury, so you're lying under oath, false witnesses. There's a whole list of things that, that some rabbis believe, but everyone shares this on their list, gossip and slander. Now, it's a arat, right? He says, I commanded you so you shall be careful to do, verse 9, remember what the Lord God did to Miriam. Um, you can find this in Numbers uh, 5. I, I'm going blank on that one now. But it's in Numbers and um, Miriam, they're coming out of um, e Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. And her and Aaron reach a point. Aaron is, is Moses' brother. Miriam is Moses' sister. They reach a point where they start to say some things about Moses. Mm. They slander him. Mm. Now, now, Moses is the covenant mediator. Like, like, he's the prophet that God said, like, other these prophets that are, that are, that are present among you in your day, I'll, I'll speak through them through dreams and visions. But Moses, Moses, I speak to face to face. There's no other prophet like him. There would be no other prophet like him until the prophet, the Messiah, would come. Okay? And, and so, so Moses, his sister and brother, Miriam and Aaron, are slandering him, and God strikes them with za'arat, the leprosy, for their slander and their gossip. And God brings that back up as a warning. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam. It was a spiritual corruption that was showing up in a physical way. And so Moses is saying to the people, you make sure and you follow what I gave the instructions for the priests to do. Because you've got to deal with this. You've got to handle this so that it doesn't spread, that it doesn't cause infection uh, beyond uh, what, it, what it needs to do, right? Mm -hmm. This is a person, though, a leprous person was to be put outside of the, the camp, outside from the people. They were to keep a certain distance. They were to announce themselves unclean, 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 right? They were to announce themselves. You make yourself vulnerable in this kind of situation. And once again, God's looking out for the vulnerable. And he said, make sure you do what you need to do so that this can be resolved. All right, if that raises questions, let's talk on that. Verse 10, when you make your neighbor alone, okay, so the, the idea is this. I'm gonna summarize this part. You're making a loan and you want a pledge, like I'm gonna pay you back, this is my guarantee that I'm gonna pay you back. You're the one making the loan, you stand outside while your fellow brother, Israelite, goes inside and chooses what he would like to offer as a pledge. You don't go inside their home and pick whatever you want from among their things to be a pledge as it suits you. You give them dignity, you give them respect, and you let them bring out what they would like to offer as a pledge. Otherwise, you're bullying, you're intimidating, and you're on the edge of extorting them. You stand outside, he says. And then he goes further and he says, verse 12, if he's a poor man, so if the person you're loaning to is a poor man, he doesn't have something to offer his pledge. They had a tunic that everyone would wear that, that, that was like an undergarment, but it was also like their primary garment. And it would keep them warm at night. And if you didn't have this, you became very vulnerable, open to sickness, disease, cold, all that kind of stuff. So if you're dealing with a poor man, you shall not sleep in his pledge. So the assumption is the poor man gave you his cloak. And, and what Moses says, you don't keep that overnight. 
you give it back during the nighttime so that he has something to sleep in. You shall restore to him the pledge as the sun sets that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you and it shall be righteousness for you before the Lord your God. God is concerned about the vulnerable. That is so different than how so many of us think or how so many of, of aspects of our society are set out. We don't care about people. Just give me my money and give me interest on my money, right? And I don't care what it does to you. You shouldn't have been in this spot to begin with. That's more the mentality that seems to rule the day, right? And yet God's order is you take care of the vulnerable among you and you don't take care of them in such a way where it's gonna put them in a worse place. You look out for them. The whole point of loaning to someone is not for you to gain advantage as the one loaning, but to help a fellow brother or sister get on their feet. Yes. That's why you don't charge interest because the point is not for you to gain. God's blessed you, so you bless others. That's the intent here. All right, we keep going. Verse 14, you shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners, so people passing through, they're, they're outsiders, foreigners, they're working for you who are in your land within your towns. 15, you shall give him his wages on the same day. So the idea here is this, you've got someone who's poor and in a great position of need working for you, make sure you pay them every day. You don't make them wait the week. You don't, you don't wait on, on something for, for you to pay. You make sure they get what they are paid every day because they are dependent every day on what you're going to pay for. That's what Moses is concerned about because if you don't pay them that day, they may not eat that day, right? That's, that's the concern here is don't oppress because here's what can happen. You are in a position of power now and if you don't pay them, they're now dependent upon you and they can't walk away because they want their money they, they earn. They need the money they earn. And if they can't walk away, they now have been what? Enslaved to you, right? Mm -hmm. See how this is all tying together? God's saying, that's not how my people operate. They look out for one another. They care for the vulnerable um, among one another. All right, keep going. Um, Paul quotes from this. Um, I always want to show you where these things show up in the New Testament. Paul's thoroughly Hebrew. Um, he, he knew his Hebrew scriptures in and out, and he lived by them. And here's what he says in writing to 1 Timothy. Um, this is in the context of elders, so leaders in a church, shepherds, pastors, overseers, that, that role there. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, for the scripture says you shall muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. That's actually in verse, chapter 25, verse four. But here's where it comes in from verse 24. The laborer deserves his wages. That's what Moses is pulling on. He knows his Torah. He, he is still operating, and he's writing to Timothy, who is pastoring a church in Ephesus, and he's saying, when you see an elder, someone who's entrusted with the care of a congregation and, and the teaching responsibility, if they're serving, well, they're, they're worthy of double honor. And, and he says, this is God's way. This is God's way because the worker is worthy of his wages. He's quoting from the Torah to, to teach Timothy how to instruct the elders. All right. Back in Deuteronomy, verse 16. Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. This is not a contradiction of Deuteronomy 5, where the uh, part of one of the 10 words of the 10 commandments, where we are told that God visits the iniquity of the fathers to the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. These things are kept in tension here. And in one, the, the, the one that falls in Deuteronomy, the, the Lord will visit the iniquity. That's the Lord's prerogative to do so. What Deuteronomy is talking about is as humans, as people, as the people of God are carrying out the justice of God, the people of God are not to punish 
the fathers for their sons or the sons for the fathers. God can do as he wills and what he wants. There's a difference in God carrying out and what humanity's doing as they carry out his judgments. Okay, there's, there's your tension there. Verse 17, you shall not pervert the justice due to a sojourner, the fatherless, or take a widow's garment. Three of the most vulnerable people, someone traveling through, they're not at home in your land. A widow and an orphan. People who have no one, remember what I told you about husbands, fathers, especially in that society, the responsibility was extra clear. Husbands, fathers, you care for your women in your household until the day they are passed on to another man who cares for them and takes that, that responsibility and that weight on. Again, not diminishing anything about women in their individuality, their personality, their rights. Okay? Nothing that, that, that about their equality. Men and women, both in the image of God. Okay? Men care for the women in your household. Amen. It's our responsibility. And so when you've got an orphan or a widow, these are people who don't have that protection. Okay? They're vulnerable. And so God's looking out for them. You don't pervert justice. You don't take advantage of them. You, you don't take advantage of them because there's nobody else looking out for them. You don't take advantage of them because they have nothing. Okay? All right. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt. Their past as slaves, where they were robbed of things, where they were mistreated, where their justice was perverted, should prompt them to do differently because God has redeemed them. Amen. And then lastly here, um, he's going to talk about some, a few scenarios when you're reaping from your fields whether it's grapes, whether it's grain, whether it's olives. You don't go back for things you've dropped. You don't have to get every single item. You leave some of that because the poor among you can go through there and then they can take and they can eat. And he says, remember that you were a slave. So built into God's people and the way he was wanting them to operate was they were to have the responsibility of the well-being of the vulnerable among them, okay? It happens, right? Now, today, what we get hung up on is who do we call vulnerable, mm. right? The, the concept that, that God's getting after here is this is not a person who refuses to work and lives off the government. Paul, and what, uh, Second Timothy, I think, maybe? You don't work, you don't eat, Okay? Right, so, so this is not a government welfare. That's not biblical, right? I'm not saying you can't benefit. If the government wants to give you some money, take the money, but you better be eyes wide open, right? But I'm just saying the, the responsibility is put on the people of God by God himself. When you have people among you, people of the faith among you, you take care of one another. You look out for one another. We're not talking about people who abuse this. Okay? We're talking about people who became vulnerable because something happened unexpected, or they were put in a, sickness hit them, medical bills drowned them because, mm. all right, and, or, or, or they, just, they just got buried with something. I got a fire burning in me this morning. And, yeah, you can. All right, so, but God is concerned about the well-being of the vulnerable, and he wants his people to, to be responsible for the well-being of the vulnerable among them. Not necessarily outside. Do first and foremost good to the people of God Amen. and then the rest, right? First and foremost to the people of God and then the rest. So I'm over, but we need to, we need to ask this question. Jesus would say the whole law, all of the Torah is summed up in these two commandments. One, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4. 
And he says the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, which is a direct quote from Leviticus 19.18. He says a whole law and the prophets hang on these two things. When we're asking the question, what does it look like to love my neighbor? I don't have to come up with stuff. God's already revealed it. I just have to ask, what does that look like in my culture today? This is the principle. This is God's concern. How do I live that out now? I don't have to to make a whole lot of stuff up here. I'm just, who is God? How has he revealed himself? How does he want his people to live? But if I I only read half of my Bible, I'm not going to know what God has revealed about what's important to him. Right, and so, so when we start to say things like Jesus never addressed this or Jesus never addressed this, it's likely because it was already addressed and he was just making assumptions based on what was already written and pointing people back to it, right? So just because Jesus doesn't address something specifically, explicitly as it would look today in our culture doesn't mean God hasn't spoken on it. Once God speaks on it, he doesn't have to keep speaking on it, right? right? So when Jesus says, love your neighbor, we got a great picture as we just went through Deuteronomy 24 of what that looks like. So then the next question is, what does it look like for me to love my neighbor? Who are the vulnerable? We've got them. Every, every congregation has vulnerable, mm-hmm. right? Every congregation has people who are going to abuse, right? We have to use discernment to, 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 to shift through that. But who are the vulnerable? And are we doing what we need to do to care for the vulnerable among us? In some ways, I'd say we probably are. In other ways, we've got a lot of work to do. And I would say that is true of any congregation. We must always have our eyes trained on who God is and how he operates so that we can see things through his lens. And this is the behavior of a redeemed people. This is not the behavior that we do to become redeemed. This is the behavior of a people who have already been delivered out of slavery and who have been set free and placed in the kingdom of God. So, Father, let your spirit come and bring understanding now. Come and help us to understand the things that we maybe can't understand. I know there are things that we could have gone much deeper in. There's complexities to them that we can't even touch in a setting like this. And yet, God, I know there are people in this room who are burning with questions. And right now, let your spirit come and bring healing where there's been hurts for those who have been put out, whether literally or figuratively. Father, for the daughters in this room, your daughters in this room, and women in this room, whether they're young or whether they're, they're older, where they have not received or been on the receiving end of the type of care and protection that, that comes from a loving father, a loving husband, grandfather, a man in their life, where that has been abused, where they have been treated as property. One, deal with injustice, Father. See it and deal with it. Two, care for your daughters. Bind up their wounds. Heal their hurts. Let them know and feel your presence and your love for them. And then, God, for the men in this room who have women under their households and they're responsible for the protection and the care and the provision for the women, whether that's daughters, wives, or now they're taking care of a mother or mother-in-law. Father, would you raise them up? 
so that they would not neglect the responsibility placed upon us, that we might care for them in the ways that you have designed us as men to care, not diminishing, not that, that women can't care, but that in the unique ways that you have pro, 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 provided for us as men to take care, to fulfill our role and responsibility, raise us up to do it with courage and sacrifice. And Father, where there are some in this room who are not part of the redeemed community, they have not trusted in Christ. Father, would you now show them the gospel, the beauty of what you have done for us in Christ, where you have brought together your justice towards sin and dealt with it justly without sweeping it under the rug through Jesus' death. And then he raised from the dead to a new type of life, overcoming sin and death. And so having dealt with the sin, issuing forgiveness to those who are in Christ, now you're able to bring us into the kingdom of God, into your family and call us sons and daughters. Bring more in today. In just a moment, we're going to dismiss. I know we're over time, but I, I always want to make this available. And um, if you're uh, available to pray with folks, if you're part of our prayer team, if you would just grab one of those lanyards that say prayer team in the back there and then make, go ahead and make your way up front now. That way people know you're available to pray with them. Anything we've talked about today, anything that's stirred up, um, anything else, if there's sickness or disease of some kind that you would like them to pray about, or you want to know what does it look like to trust in Christ more, or you want follow-up on that, they're available for all that. So with that, Father, as we dismiss from here, change us, mark us, teach us that we would not be the same as when we came in, but that we would be people who are looking to you and people who your spirit is continually molding and the fruit of the spirit is being produced in us, that we might be people who live in such a way where the light of the kingdom of God is shined forth and that others are then drawn in to worship you. In Jesus' name. Amen. See you guys next week.